If you've got your Bible this morning, I want you to look with me to Proverbs chapter 14. Proverbs chapter 14. Thank you, Lord. Let's take a moment and pray. Father, I believe you're doing good things in our lives, in our church, and you have great plans for our nation. Lord, direct our steps today. Order our paths. Help us to think in line with your, your word, with righteousness, with the wisdom of God. Lord, have your way in this place today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We started a series uh, a couple weeks ago. This is a mini-series dealing with election issues. We call this series Exalting a Nation. And um, we want to pick up, and this will be the final, I, I believe, unless the Lord puts it on my heart to take these things uh, up again after the election. But let's start in, in Proverbs 14 and verse 34. It says, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Based on this verse of Scripture, uh, we can get a whole lot of questions answered as to what is to guide our decision making in voting, in our involvement in the electoral process in, 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 in government and and you know what what should help us make decisions and make godly decisions ultimately it needs to come down to this what does God call righteous what in his mind is important okay there are many important issues in this election that we could discuss okay we can talk about high taxation we can talk about wealth redistribution we can talk about the war on terror. We can talk about school choice and immigration and border security and, and just, uh, you know, the recent financial bailouts. And, and there's a lot of issues to be discussed. We're not taking time to discuss all these, but I want you to understand why. Not because I'm, I, I think a lot of these things are unimportant, but I do recognize that in the mind of God, and I get this from his word, okay, someone said you have access to God that others don't have I have the same access to God that you have okay usually people who speak that way and act like what well, what God speaks to you what he doesn't speak to you how many know that's uh, it, God does speak we just need to know how he speaks and learn how to listen to his voice let's get back here okay we need to be looking to the Lord as to what he considers important so I've chosen in just our short uh, mini-series here preceding the election, a cup, couple of issues that I believe are at the heart of God, okay? And they rise in my mind, and I believe they should in all believers, they rise higher than some of the issues I just mentioned. Again, not to say that they're not important. They're, some of them have really scriptures that tell us how to uh, uh, believe about certain things, even such as taxes, okay? However, we're dealing with just a limited number of issues in a limited amount of time. And so I want to take today to talk about a very important social issue called life. And I'm speaking about life in relationship to the issue of abortion. All right. Not something I speak on too often, but we should have a biblical understanding. Is there anything in the Word of God that deals with this subject? How should we as believers approach it? How should we deal with those who are um, dealing or reeling from the, the effects of it? 
uh, obviously not the child, but, uh, you know, uh, the mother? How, how should we um, answer questions that come up um, with this issue? What about candidates who have different positions on it? Does that matter? Okay, when, when we talk about uh, and when polls are taken today, what's the most important thing that's driving you know, this election and, the, and the, what drives someone's choice and whom they're going to vote for, the largest answer, the biggest answer is the economy, right? That's the way people are answering that question today. Well, not too long, long ago, it was the war, but now the economy has taken center stage. I want to present and put this before you that though that is important and though, uh, you know, we need to have wise decisions made in that area, there are other things that are more important. And I really believe that this one, even though it's not on the ballot, you know what I'm talking about? But this issue is important to God. Therefore, it is important to us, and it should be a major consideration in whom we're voting for, even to a greater degree than some economic uh, decisions. Again, not to say that they're not important. But again, if righteousness exalts a nation... And we take what God says is important to him, we make it important to us, and we let that guide our decisions, what happens? It exalts our nation. The blessing of God is on our economy. The blessing of God is on our safety, the security of our nation, on so many areas. And one of the ways that that blessing comes, it manifests through wisdom. And people who are making decisions, they have clear insight and bills are put together that actually make sense. You know, they don't, they're not 5,000 pages of nothing. You know what I'm talking about? You know, some of that stuff, the way it comes about, there's so much stuff written into those bills that they don't even understand them. You can't tell me they do. Especially when a lot of them, like my wife and I were discussing and some things that she had studied out, a lot of them were put together the night before and they are required to vote the next morning there's no possible way they could have sat and analyzed and, and really looked through these entire bills and it's a bunch of it's a bunch of can i say this and i'm not talking about everybody there's a bunch of crooks in there who are they slide all kinds of extra stuff in every bill that goes before congress and so you got the main thing that's labeled and then a million other things that are underneath it and they spending all of our money on stuff we have nothing to do with, and even those who are voting on it, they know they're going to be held accountable for that label at the top, and they're also, though, approving all kinds of other stuff. Anyway, let's get back to our subject. Let's talk about life. Where does God stand concerning this issue? And I'm specifically talking about life in relationship to the unborn. I want to encourage everybody, though, uh, who's listening to me, I probably am the larger percentage i'm probably as we say preaching to the choir you're on my side <laughs> as far as the side that i'm taking the position that i'm putting forth there are probably some that have a different perspective and a different viewpoint on this very important issue and i would just encourage you to keep an open mind okay it d- doesn't serve any of us to resist a- an argument from the other side as a believer, if you want to question my belief in God or question what I believe about God and eternal life, bring it on. Are you listening? I don't mean in a confrontational way. I'm just saying I'm secure in that. And if you can question me, fine. 
I'm open to being questioned. I'm open for people to say, why do you believe what you believe? I like those questions because, one, I have good answers. But if I don't have a good answer, I want the question anyway because it will make me find a good answer. We should never be people who run away from uh, someone questioning us. Amen. You know, like the pr- person I've spoken to a number of people before, like I illustrated earlier, uh, and, and used the question. Um, well, let me, let me just let me use this one as an example instead. Uh, I've talked with people about different beliefs, as many of us have. And when someone states a dogmatic position, I like to ask, ask that question, why do you believe that? If someone said, for example, eternal life, well, I believe I'm a good, good person and, 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 you know, everything will be okay. Well, okay, why do you believe that? Numerous times I've had people answer me saying this. Well, that's just what I believe. I know, but why? Well, that's just the way I feel about it, and I believe that. And I can believe anything I want to believe. <laughs> yeah, you're dumb, but you can you can believe the moon is made of cheese. It's just not very smart to believe that, right? You can believe it, but we should ask ourselves the question, why do we believe it, okay? If you are, and this is what I'm, uh, I want to strengthen those who are on the side of life, and I want to challenge those who are not, okay? If you're not, I want you to ask why you believe what you believe. Maybe you have good answers for that already, uh, maybe I'll blow them out of the water if you let me. <laughs> At least give me a shot. And, uh, and maybe you'll be strengthened in what you believe. But we should never be afraid to ask the question why, okay, concerning our relationship with God and all other types of issues. So, again, now, what should a Christian's view of abortion be? Would it be considered a righteous or an unrighteous act? How should we treat those who have had abortions? And how should we personally be involved in this issue? And I want to answer some of these questions here today. If you've got your Bible, I want you to take a right turn from where you're at and stop at Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 1. As believers, our beliefs are to be based upon truth. What is truth? Where does truth begin? I would, I would just say this. We know we're getting it from the Word of God, but just in a logic, from a logical standpoint, truth must originate from outside of yourself. For the person who says, like I illustrated, well, I just believe it just, just because, just because I want to. Well, that's just foolish. You're taking your pea brain, which is all of us, huh? and we're, making, we're coming up with truth all by ourselves. No, you have a perspective. I have a perspective. If I'm ever going to believe truth, it's got to come from outside of myself so it's not influenced by me. In our case, we know where that comes from. It comes from the Lord, and we've got to have a word from God. Let me say this as well while we're talking. The laws of our land are not the highest laws concerning our lives. Some things that are legal in our land, in our country, and the Bible does tell us to obey the, the very or, every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. We are to be law-abiding law citizens, okay? But the law says abortions are legal. But what do you say concerning your life and decisions there? You know, the law says you can go out and get sloshed, get drunk every night of the week as long as you don't drive or do a few other things. 
but you can do that. Well, what, is, what do you say, though? What does the Lord say about you doing that? It's legal, but that doesn't mean I should do it. Uh, it's legal to shack up. That doesn't mean a Christian should do it. Right? There needs to be some overriding principles, some higher standards that govern the lives of believers. What are you living by? What am I living by? If, the, if there are ever laws and the way things are going, hey, hold on to your seat. If there are ever laws that prohibit us from openly and boldly serving the Lord Jesus, I'm going to do it anyway. Okay? There are some things that laws in some nations even today forbid a person to do, but there is a higher law. And that's where we're going to submit to Him and Him alone. In Jeremiah chapter 1, the Lord said to Jeremiah in verse 5, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you as a prophet to the nations. If the Lord knew Jeremiah before he was formed in the womb, did he know him while he was in the womb? The Lord said, this is not just a political statement. The Lord said, Jeremiah, I knew you. I knew you before and then while you were in your mother's womb. He didn't say, Jeremiah, before you were born, you were a blob of nothing. You were of the potential of life, but you were just a fetus. You were just a f- stuff. But when you came out, I knew you. No, he knew him before in his foreknowledge. He knew him from conception while formed in the womb because he was a real person. And then, of course, he had a plan for him when he showed up on the scene, when he came out. If God knows people in the womb, before the womb, that tells me that they are really people. They're not just the potential of a person. They are a person. They are a human being that God already has a plan for. Does God, you think, based on this, have a plan for babies that have been aborted? He does. Do those babies reach that plan? They never had a chance. Never had a chance. And I understand while speaking about this that I'm using language that is full of what might, what those in the pro-life movement would use and those who are on the other side in what's called pro-choice, they don't use that language. They would not be caught, at least not on purpose, referring to the unborn as a baby. They would always refer to it as a fetus or something of that nature. And I know the language I'm using. I'm not say you're just swaying this. I think I am swaying it towards reality. Okay? Because we have a foundation for this. I'm not attempting to make a political statement. Although I realize our belief and understanding of this will affect our politics. Will affect who we hold up to uh, and who we're going to vote for. Let me give you some scriptures on the principle of life. Just under, I'm, I'm just going to read a number of these. You won't have time to turn there. Simple scriptures. You all know John 10.10. 10. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Jesus came for the express purpose of bringing life. All right. In 
in, in the ninth chapter of Luke, the disciples, and they had been, they came out of a city where they did not receive their ministry, and they came to Jesus, and they said, Lord, man, they're kind of ticked off a little bit. You want us to just call fire out of heaven like Elijah did, just burn them all up? Jesus said, uh, verse 55 of Luke 9, but he turned and rebuked them and said, you do not know what manner of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. What does the Lord want to do? Destroy life? Save life. Do everything possible. If someone's dying, to keep them alive. Someone's being destroyed, to bring life to them. That's what the Lord's interested in. In 1 Corinthians 15, 45, and so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. Living being, The last, Adam, became a life-giving spirit. Who, who is the last Adam? That's Jesus. What is he d- defined as being? A life-giving spirit. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 26 says, the last enemy that will be destroyed is death. Death is an enemy. Life is what Jesus is all about. Death is an enemy, enemy of God, enemy of us, and life is what the Lord is about. Let me give you some examples of life. Back in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 9, we read about the tree of life that God created. In John 6, 48, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. In Romans 6, 23, says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 2, it says, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made us free from the law of sin and death. In Revelation 21 and verse 27, the Bible talks about heaven and nothing can enter that defiles, but only those who are written, whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. God really likes that word. I think he likes that church too. And Revelation chapter 22 and verse 1 says, uh, speaking of heaven, he showed me a pure river of water of life. There's a river in, he- in heaven. And you know what it's called? River of life. Life river. Where are you going? Down to the river. Which one? Life river. <laughs> I have a feeling there'll be other things named life. Life church. <laughs> Say, why are we called Life Church? I really, not to say that a church couldn't, there's a lot of good names for churches, but I do know it defines who God is and what he's all about, all that Jesus came to bring. It's, it, there's so much said in one four-letter word, <laughs> life. There's just a whole bunch right contained in that. But this gives us God's attitude towards Everything as a whole. Someone might say, but you're not talking about abortion there. Well, I think we might be. I think this is an overriding principle, an aspect of who God is, and it affects everything that we do. I just really don't see the author of life. I don't see Jesus when he was here on the earth dealing maybe with a young teenage pregnant girl uh, out of wedlock and saying, you know, let's just go down to the clinic, you know, if that were available. And let's just uh, let's just terminate this pregnancy and, and, and give you a fresh start here. Would we'll act like this never happened? I, I don't see the Lord Jesus doing that. No, I don't see that in God's character. If you do, man, 
you might, might want to meditate on these scriptures a little bit more. Okay? It's not the way that the Lord is. And I think it's just really ungodly for a person to take the life of another for their own benefit or their own inconvenience. We are taught to lay down our lives. That's the godly model. In fact, John 15, verse 13, Jesus said, No greater, uh, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. What are we called to do? Not take a life, but lay our lives down. Not take someone else's life, but lay our lives down. If I'm inconvenienced for someone else's benefit, that's godly. That's called, can you say Jesus on the cross? Little inconvenient. Huh? If something troubles, if I'm going to have to adjust my life to provide for another life, then adjust away we go. That's the way that we are to live. That's the example that we have. I know sometimes when we talk about these issues, I'm aware of, and I'll bring up a couple, but I'm aware of what the opposition might say. When I say the opposition, those who are called pro-choice, those who believe abortion is fine. Um, One thing that they will say is, what about capital punishment? Okay, because of the fact that many times, but not all, but many pro-life people are at the same time pro-capital punishment. Okay, you may not be, but that's not really our subject here. But I want to just say this about it. You can't really compare someone who commits first-degree murder and them suffering capital punishment with an innocent unborn child and make any kind of comparison there and say, how can you be for one but not for the other? Okay, that makes zero sense whatsoever. All right. Praise the Lord. Amen. The other side, typically when people do believe in capital punishment as a valid thing, the reason they believe it is because they're pro-life. Meaning what? They're trying to have uh, create a deterrent to more people being killed. They're trying to create a deterrent. So actually that one, the person who did kill, that they'll never do it again. And that other people who are thinking about it know, if I do, I'm out of here. All right. And so it's really not, in my estimation, a valid argument against those who want to fight for and protect life in the womb. Okay, let me give you some stats here. There are 1.31 million induced abortions every year in the United States. 24.5% of all pregnancies in the United States end in abortion. That means 3,500 children are aborted every day. 105, 145 children are aborted every hour, and two children die every minute due to induced abortions in the U.S. Okay. Let, let, me, let, me, just, let me just say, uh, let's go on. Every abortion takes the life of a human being. At the time of fertilization... When a sperm penetrates the ovum or egg cell, a new human organism comes into existence with complete and unique genetic code. This is a scientific fact, not a religious claim. Those who claim to not know when human life begins are making a political statement, not a scientific one. 
Watch out for that kind of language. Okay. Human beings develop at an astonishingly rapid pace. The cardiovascular system is the first major system to function. The blood is circulating in the uh, is circulating and the heart begins to beat at 21 or 22 days. It can be detected by an ultrasound. By the end of the eighth week, the unborn child has developed all its organs and biological systems. 20 weeks after fertilization, unborn children feel pain. All abortions leave at least one dead and one wounded. What about choice? Like I said already, this, those who are approving of abortion are typically referred to as pro-choice in their stance and in their belief. I want you to know that that language was carefully crafted to present an, un, an unpretty picture into something that's acceptable to those in the United States. Okay? We are free. We, and thank God for that, we have many freedoms. And we live in a country where we, we value the right to choose. We make many, we just decide where we're going to live, where we're going to work, what we're going to eat, how we're going to dress, what we're going to drive, who we're going to marry, how many kids we're going to have. We like choices, don't we? And, and I'm one of those. I like these choices. I, wanna, I don't want to be told what to do in all those areas. I want to make my own decision concerning these things. But think about it. If you're dealing with people who value that highly, and then you want to take this issue of abortion, and you want to put a happy face on it, what should you call it? I think maybe choice. And as much as possible, only call it choice. Call it a woman's right to choose. Don't mention what she's choosing. Just phrase it, and if you can do it in a positive way, call it pro-choice. And it puts a real warm, fuzzy feeling on something that's kind of ugly. But that's why that language is used. It's used to make us accept and not have such a uh, feeling about a particular act. But when those of us like myself are saying, and we preach from the word, life, 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 and let's even extend this and make this valid concerning an unborn child that God knows. Are we saying that we are denying the right of a woman to choose? No. I want to deny a woman the right to choose to end the life of her unborn child. And that's all. I think some there are a lot of choices I want to give recommendations for, ladies. Here's what I want you to choose. It's your choice. I would prefer you choose to stay out of the sack if you're not married. If you don't, if you pass on that one, and you find yourself with an unexpected, unwanted pregnancy, I would hope that you would choose to carry that child to term and care for it or give it up for adoption. Those are some really good choices. Okay, People make wrong, wrong choices. Those are some good, well... Start from the beginning, you don't have to deal with the other two. Okay? 
But if you have, you know, we understand. But those would be some good choices. Instead of wrapping up all this stuff, and the only time you talk about choice, it has to do with ending the life of the unborn. You know, and oftentimes those who want to protect everyone's right to choose, well, there are a lot of other areas in life that they don't want us to choose about. Like where your tax dollars go for your kids to go to school. How about that choice? You're not pro-choice anymore? <laughs> it's very selective is what I'm saying. People apply that only to what they want to apply it to and, and not anything else. Okay? And so uh, we need to understand these issues uh, that choice, and choice is a good thing. God gives us the right to choose, but what do we choose and what do we apply, apply to that? Listen, people oftentimes want to live with just no boundaries and no consequences in their life. And what about the issue when, when people say, what about a woman's body? What about a woman's right to do with her own body what she wants to do with it? My response, again, I want to ask another question. What about the, the baby's body? Scientifically and biblically, they're separate. The baby's body does not equal the woman's body. The woman made some, de some de decisions, and I'm not con condemning, but listen, the woman made some decisions with her body that produced another living body inside of her. It's not about a, a woman doing with her body. It's about her choice that is going to determine the fate of another body, and that is a child within her. What about those who say, um, I just want to work with those, you know, someone who's, who's on the the pro-choice side of this issue. They say, but I would like to work with those in the pro-life community so that we can have fewer abortions. I, I, want, I want there to, uh, we can all agree on that we want less abortions. Watch out. Watch out for people who are speaking that way. Question it. Say, why? Isn't that a good thing to want less? I question the person who even says that. I question their very motive and their very, uh, whether they are genuine or just dumb. I'm sorry, I'm not trying to be harsh. If an abortion is morally benign, it is neither good or bad, it's just a medical procedure. It's just like removing a tumor or something. It's just removing something unwanted from a person's body. But it's not a moral issue because it's not really a child. It's just a fetus. It's just the potential of life, but it's not really life. If that is true, then why in the world would you want to reduce the amount of abortions being be, taking place? If it's just a nothing, why would you even say that we want to have less of them? Who cares if there's less of them? If it's nothing, if it doesn't harm anyone, why do you care if there's less or not? If that's true, I don't care if there's a million every minute. Do you? I mean, it's, it's like if, if someone says, I think we should work together to have less or fewer red cars on the road. We can all agree there's too many red cars. Well, why would someone say that? That doesn't make any sense. Why does it make any sense? Because there's nothing wrong with a red car. 
And so wanting fewer of them, why would you even say that? If there's nothing inherently wrong with aborting a, a, a child, the unborn baby, then why would you say we want less of them? If we were talking about murder, talking about taking, you know, the life of another person, not the unborn in this illustration, taking the life of, an un, uh, of another person, we, we could all say, yes, we want fewer murders. We want less people to be murdered. Why do we want it? Because it's bad. That's the reason we want fewer, because it's inherently evil. We want to get it all the way down to zero. But if there's nothing wrong with abortion, we don't want fewer. If there's nothing wrong with it, let's have at it. Put a clinic on every corner. Huh? Publicize it. Nothing wrong with it. It's just like putting a Band-Aid on. I don't believe it's the same issue. But I'm very, very skeptical when I hear people saying that. Let's just work together, both sides. Let's work together to have fewer abortions. What? No, I say let's get rid of all of them. If, there, if it's literally a child we're taking, then let's get rid of all of them. If it's not, then why are we even having this discussion? And we know. And if someone's honest, they'll look at it. Scientifically and biblically, this is right. When a child's life begins. Amen. Beware of also, can I say, tell you this? Beware of the talk of the health of the mother. When they talk about late term and uh, partial birth abortion. They'll say, some will say, yeah, we will have that legislation. But we want a provision in there for the health of the mother. That language is very carefully crafted. Again, health of the mother does not mean life of the mother. It means basically they can go around the issue and she can say, I've got an ang nail. My head hurts. I'm a little bit depressed. And all of a sudden the law no longer applies to her because of her health. This stuff is, the wording is very precise. And I believe... I just got to tell you, I believe a lot of it is demonically inspired because God is not the author of death. He is the author of life. What about when you get people who say, again, I'm talking people, I'm usually talking about politicians here, who will say, I'm personally opposed to abortion, but I'm politically and I, I, I believe that we should you know, keep the right for women to choose, but I'm personally opposed to this. My question again, why are you personally opposed? If you're personally opposed to it, why? If it's, again, if it's a nothing, if it's just a medical procedure, if it's just removing a fetus or something like you would remove a, a tumor or something from someone's body, if it's just like that, why would you be opposed to it? Why are you opposed to that? If, if that's not the case, then you are feeling bad about it. You're feeling like there is something inherently wrong with this procedure. Why would you want to extend the right to somebody else to do something that is inherently evil and wrong? I don't feel like it's, you know, wrong. Okay, so what? To you it's killing a child but you want to write it into our law 
and give someone else the right to kill their child? Again, that doesn't make any sense. And people need to be called on this kind of, uh, this kind of thinking that they present because they want to pander to both sides. They're talking to the pro-choice crowd, you guys, and, uh, and, they, and they say, they want to say, I'm for a woman's right to choose, I'm for, you know, right to you to do whatever you want with your own body, then they're talking to the other side, and they say, we want fewer abortions. Let's work together on this. And Shut up. Deuteronomy chapter 30. We're going to end over there. Let me ask the, let me talk about something here a minute though before we read over here. What about those who have had abortions? I want you to know there is forgiveness. There is help. Are you saying I made the wrong decision? Yes. I'm also saying I love you. I'm not here to condemn, not here to make you feel guilty. Most likely if you're like many, you have you've been raked over the coals in your own mind, in your own emotions, sometimes for if it was something a long time ago, sometimes for many years you've had to deal with this. And I want you to know that I'm not here to call you out on it or shine a light on you or point out your moral failure. Uh, but I am here to say uh, the words of Jesus. He said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to heal the brokenhearted. And there is forgiveness. There's restoration. There's hope. And if you're, it, maybe, you're, maybe it's something that was recent or something years ago, I'm absolutely convinced the Lord's not angry with you. No, no, no. His forgiveness and mercy is, is there, available. You can receive it and walk free from living in guilt about that. And many, many people do. But here's another side to that. You know what? Your child is in heaven. All children, young children, you know, alive in the physical world here, out, out of the womb, young children, infants, the unborn who die, you know, every one of them go to heaven. And I don't say that's just simply because it sounds good, although knowing the character of God, if I had zero scripture, I'd have to go with that because I know he's life and love and mercy and, and all this. But I know that the Apostle Paul wrote to us in, in the book of Romans, and in the 7th chapter, he talked about how he was alive without the law once. But when the commandment came, sin revived and he died. He's talking about when he was a child, and he was unable to comprehend and understand right and wrong and know sin from righteousness. But he said uh, when the law came, in other words, he got to, the, got to the point where he could understand, he could choose right and wrong. He said the commandment came, sin revived. That's the sin of Adam. Okay, that's the sin. It, sin revived and he died. And at that point, he needed to choose a savior. But that tells me that all those kids before that, they're good, alive unto God, not being held accountable for, for their sin because they have not willfully rejected the Lord. All right. And so, guess what? When you show up in heaven one day, what a day of rejoicing that will be. And you'll be an extra surprise for you. Hmm. There'll be that child. I don't know, maybe all grown up. Mom, how's it going? Good to see you here. <laughs> Not angry with you at all. Ready to wrap his or her arms around you. Oh, it'll be a great day of rejoicing. God doesn't lose them, you know. 
Amen. Lots of extra folks up there. It's a big place. Let me try to finish up. How can we be involved in this issue? Number one, share Jesus with the world. The answer to all these questions goes beyond and supersedes government and laws. And if this, thing, if this issue that we're talking about never gets overturned on the Supreme Court level, you know what? We still have the book of life. <laughs> we have the word of God. We have truth. We have mercy and forgiveness and love. And if, if when people's hearts are changed, it doesn't matter what they're allowed to do by law. Their own heart will guide their, their decisions. And we could eliminate and take abortion down to zero by, by, by getting everyone saved. Amen. By letting the love of God enter a person's heart, it'll guide their decisions without someone uh, forcing it upon them. Number two, show mercy and not judgment towards those who have had abortions. We are not to be the, the angry religious people, screaming our hands, wave, waving our waving our banners at people, you're killing kids, you're killing babies. Man, where's the love of God in that? Hmm. I'll just throw this out as a side note. And I, I'm, if you don't agree with me, I'm fine. Okay. I don't have chapter and verse on this. I'm not a big fan of uh, picket signs and, you know, the folks that protesting down, like down at the mall. And, and I've seen some, I've noticed people I knew in there. And I don't question their character, their integrity, or their, their desire to do, to do good. I'm just not so sure that works. Okay, you can think about it, and I'm not making any absolute statement here. I'm not so sure the picketing and so forth is helping the pro-life cause. I think many times people look at it, and it's a negative. All right, although, again, I'm not questioning their hearts and what they're doing. Uh, I just, I never saw Jesus with a picket sign. And uh, I don't believe that's the best way to go about it. However, let's go on. If you disagree, I still love you, as long as you don't hold it against me. Uh, well, I love you anyway. Okay, number three, support groups like crisis pregnancy centers. This is how we can be involved. Those places like that really are a help to oftentimes young girls when they're in trouble and they find themselves in a position. They can really be a big blessing. By the way, side note to this, uh, certain certain candidates um, for our government have said one of the first things they want to sign into law is the Freedom of Choice Act. That's of the devil, by the way. Amen. If I can be so plain, it's a it's a bill that'll basically sweep away all pro-life legislation that has been that has put limits on abortion, you know, parental consent and all these kind of things. It all goes right away. You should know who's about to do that. Amen. Number four, vote and let politicians know that you stand for life. Did we tell you to vote yet? <laughs> is, de is death sometimes necessary to preserve life? We live in a fallen world. We live in a sinful world. There are things such as capital punishment. There are things such as war. You know, not good, but sometimes necessary to keep peace. But ultimately, again, God is the author of life. Deuteronomy 30, let's close here, verse 19. I call heaven and earth as witness today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life. What should we do? 
choose life, that both you and your descendants may live. Say, that's not talking about abortion, maybe not specifically, not in the mind of, of the writer, but how many know when you have a culture of life, it really affects all areas. And this is something that as believers, if you're unsure about it, man, stay with life. Let's keep people alive until you figure it out. If there's uncertainty, but if there isn't, I believe that God is a life God. And we're going to go ahead and keep the name of the church the way it is. Um, it's going to stay life church. What does that mean? Eternal life, salvation. It means prosperity. It means peace and joy and victory. It means health in your body. And it means also... And I don't mean this was the motive in calling that, but it is, include, is it included when we talk about the unborn? has to be. It's life. It's, who, it's, it's, it's what God is all about. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you today for every single person who has come. And I thank you for your plan for life for every one of us. May not a single person miss out on your best. We desire all of us to come up to a higher place operate on a higher level concerning your life. May we have clear perspective. Lord, may we have your perspective concerning this vitally important issue as well as others. And Lord, direct us as we vote. Direct us as we involve ourselves to whatever degree that you would lead us. Direct us in the stances, the positions that we are to hold dear. May they reflect your wisdom and your character in all areas of our lives. Thank you for helping us today. Lord, I do pray for all those here today. And I ask that you would touch the hearts of those who are hurting because of this issue. For some ladies or maybe some men who've been involved on the other side, they have regrets, they have hurts and pains. Lord, may the peace of God May the comfort of the Spirit, may your healing power flow through their minds and emotions to bring deliverance and freedom from past hurts and failures. Thank you that you are a God of mercy and a God of grace. And Lord, I ask that you minister life and strength and recovery in this place. Lord, do a mighty thing in them now, I pray. Father, for those that have come today that have never been saved, they were to die today.